see how that could just kind of get stuck in your head, you know, you just kind of, I don't think I knew anything, but just the let us pray, I think it's the only words of it I knew. I just knew that just seemed to fit what we were talking about. Well, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we were speaking from Acts chapter 2, where we talked about the functions of the church, what was going on in that early church after the birth of the church, and, and uh, one of the things that they were giving themselves to was, was prayer. Now, the fact is, we're, we know the English language a little better than today's title slide might imply. Uh, we actually do know the difference between F-O-R and F-O-U-R, and that those are two different words, and, and, uh, but a little bit of a play on words that what we're talking about is to, to prayer the four alls that uh, Ephesians chapter 6 gives us here. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We kind of alluded to it uh, briefly that uh, we might come back to it. And it seemed like with the kids uh, studying the armor of God this week, and this actually, especially if, if you, the way the ESV in particular treats this passage, uh, treats it as a continuation of the same sentence. Uh, some uh, translations put a period before this verse, uh, but the ESV treats it as a sentence, which I think is the appropriate way uh, to deal with it. Um, so it's really part of the same sentence, not to be confused necessarily as a piece of armor per se, but something that is prevailing over it all. Uh, and Ephesians 6:18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So four alls that we have here that give us some instruction, give us some direction, give us some insight and guidance in prayer. It's a good, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, a nice little primer on prayer. Now I got to admit, uh, I might be the last person that really ought to be up here teaching on prayer. Um, I, I'll just for this, I'm not a prayer warrior. Uh, we got prayer warriors in this church. I do not number myself among them. Um, I believe prayer is important. I pray, and God is convicting me to do better. But I'm going to be honest, I identify more with Martha than I do with Mary. Uh, I identify a little more with Peter than I do with John. And, and by that, what I mean is, I'm probably more concerned with whether, whether we're going to get lunch on the table for everybody at the right time than sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing all that he has to say and busying myself with details. I'm, I'm probably more inclined to whack off the servant's ear than I am to, uh, to lean back on the, against the breast of Jesus just to be near him and close to him. Um, that's just my personality in many ways. I wish I were more inclined... One of the, my early influencers in life was, or ministry life, was a guy named Howard Sugden. Howard Sugden was an, was an elderly preacher. I think he was in his 80s and still full-time pastor of a church in Michigan. And um, he had a habit uh, that he spent most of every Saturday in the sanctuary of the church, over a thousand-member church. He knew every member of that church by name, and he knew where they sat on a Sunday morning. And he spent the majority of Sunday in the sanctuary going from seat to seat, praying for the person who would likely be sitting in that seat the next day. Um, now that's a man of prayer. That's someone who, who got it, who understood what mattered most. But the Lord really has, uh, and I know it's easy to say, God's really convicted me or God's really put it on my heart. Those are easy words to say. But um, I really have been persuaded of the Lord 
That if we want to see God manifest his power in and through this church, and, and especially in this season that we're in right now, that prayer is essential, and prayer is the essential thing. You, the fact is, I really like to plan, but I recognize what we need to do is pray. And I, I like to work. I enjoy work. Um, but what we need to do, the most important work we need to do is the work of prayer. I enjoy counseling. I love counseling, but I realize that what we need most is the manifest presence of the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sent in Jesus' name, according to John 14, to teach us and remind us of everything that he taught us. So my hope and my prayer is that this message won't be necessarily as much about teaching on prayer as calling the church to prayer and calling us to pray together and to pray earnestly and to pray um, with, as, as our priority in these days. Um, not so much to give instruction as much as invitation. Uh, to invite us to come into this work of intercession. Because I believe the people who are going to impact the search process for our new senior pastor, the most vital people, the most impactful people in that process are, are not necessarily going to be the members of the search committee, nor the session, nor the deacons, nor the staff. Now, it might include those people, but the most impactful people I genuinely, truly believe are going to be those who are fervent in prayer, who are bringing this constantly before the Lord, who are constantly beseeching the Lord to send forth this particular worker that we are looking for for his field. I'm convinced really as never before that we really can't figure all this out. We have been through the strangest year. Andrew jokingly talked about 2020, the year we don't mention um, but the fact is, we've all been dynamically impacted by it. And, and still, we're struggling and wrestling to some degree with what to do with it and what to do with the, the fallout from it. But I believe that those who are most going to impact this process are those who are coming before the Lord, raising prayer on behalf of this body, those who are crying out to the Lord for mercy and grace. That's where the impact will be. So how is it that we pray? How does that factor in to who we are and where we are? You look at verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 18, the four alls that are there. The first of them is that we pray at all times in the Spirit. Now that begs two questions. The first of the two is, so what does it mean at all times? What does that really mean? And what does in the Spirit mean? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? You know, when we see a term like pray at all times. It's easy to dismiss it. It's easy to be dismissive of it. It's easy to say, well, clearly nobody can actually do that. Clearly we can't just be praying all the time. Uh, it's just hyperbole. It's just something that's, it's an exaggeration for purpose. It's an exaggeration for effect. And I think that really misses the pervasive nature that prayer is really to have. This is not just saying we need to pray a lot. It's not just saying we need to pray often. It's saying that we need to pray at all times. It's easy to discount it as a, a nobody can actually do that. But when we connect it to the armor of God, which we put on but are never told to take off, 
We never set it aside. We're just putting it on, and prayer becomes the overarching, overwhelming aspect of, of all of that, the all-pervasive part of it. It's how we put on the army, it armor. It's how we wear it. You remember the hymn, put on the gospel armor, put on each piece with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. As we're taking up the armor, as we're putting on the armor, as we're living in this fallen world, all the while praying in the Spirit. The New Testament's laced with, with examples and, and commands. And, you know, the, in Acts 2, we talked about a couple weeks ago, they were continuously devoted to, continuously devoting themselves to prayer. Cornelius, it says, prayed to God continually. Paul tells Timothy that he prays for him night and day. Prayer becomes, one theologian said, the very air. The Christian breathes. The song alluded to that. It's a true constant in our life. It's this continuous God consciousness that never ends. It is. You know, I once pastored a church for a little while that after pastoring there a little bit, they told me, they said, you know, pastor, the former pastor, he shot down right there in that pulpit. <laughs> it was... <laughs> It was a Norwegian Baptist church, and yeah, it was back during Prohibition. They shot the pastor in the pole. I'm like, well, I'm glad to know that now, you know, and I thought well, maybe something was happening there. Where were we? <laughs> the life without an amen. Again, as a, as a song alluded to, think of it this way. Think of prayer without ceasing. If you're with someone all the time, maybe you have a, a partner, maybe two policemen who ride around in a car all day together, maybe construction workers who work side by side, maybe retirees who spend all of their time together, you talk all the time. There's always conversation going on. It's just natural. It's just the natural flow of life that's doing. But every now and then, there's this, not every now and then, but regularly, there's this, hey, there's something we need to talk about. And praying without ceasing is that never-ending conversation. It's the, it's the part that doesn't have an amen. But then there's also the parts that do. There's the parts that are very focused and intentional. It's the, hey, we need to talk about something. But praying without ceasing is that idea of a conversation that never really ends. And we know that's happening when we begin to see things change in our thought processes, when all of a sudden we're, we're riding down the highway and, and, and we, we, we're headed west and, and suddenly we come over a rise and there's this magnificent sunset before us. And all of a sudden we've, we realize one day that I'm no longer saying, wow, that's a gorgeous sunset. And what I'm finding myself doing is saying, thank you for that masterpiece, God. It was just natural. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's just natural. It's, it's the way that we move. We know that's happening when, when we have a problem or some crisis occurs, something comes up in our life, and instead of being like me and instantly going into crisis management mode, come up with a plan, figure out how to fix it, we immediately say, God, I don't have the wisdom but you tell me that if I ask you for wisdom, that you'll give it to me, and I'm asking you for it. You say you'll give it generously and graciously, and God, I need a gracious and generous measure of it right now. And that becomes natural. It's not phony. It's not put on. Now, that's a discipline that we build and we grow. We know that's happening when we're not concerned about what comes out of our mouth. 
in a moment of immediate crisis. We actually had on tape, I think it's been lost, but one of our former pastors here, former associate pastors here, Brett Hilliard, some of you remember Brett, we actually have a recording of Brett having a wreck. He was leaving a voicemail for his assistant when he had a wreck, and he did good. You know, I'm not sure I want to be recorded as I'm having a wreck or as something like that occurs in my life or some little crisis like that occurs. But when we're not concerned, and it's like, yeah, I'm fine if somebody hears that because what's going to happen? I'm just going to be talking to God about it in that moment. That's what we're moving to. That's what we're looking for. One theologian referred to it as being continuously on the verge of prayer so that the slightest trigger and we're suddenly finding ourselves in prayer without even realizing it. And it wasn't even a conscious decision. Maybe it's when we read the newspaper or, or, or get a news feed or something on our computer. And instead of saying, man, somebody ought to blow those people up or, or somebody ought to do this or somebody ought to do that, our response is, wow, somebody, I mean, our response is to God, say, God, would you rescue them? Would you deliver them? Or we hear about those who have died or been martyred or our thoughts are immediately to their families and praying for their families. And it's just natural and it's, it's not something contrived or something that we put on. It just, it just flows out of us that way. Now listen, this is progressive. This is not intended to shame any of us because i got to shame on me first. This is not intended to be shaming. It's not intended to point out our inadequacies. That's not the purpose. None of us have arrived. I haven't arrived. But let's be moving in that direction. Let's be mindful of building these habits. Let's be mindful of being conscious to where these things do become second nature. Praying at all times. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, Barclay, that's, that's William, uh, the Scottish theologian, not Charles, the basketball player. Different spelling. But he says that when we let the Spirit be the atmosphere in which we pray. Ron talked a few weeks ago about uh, being careful about the whole, you know, the word Spirit when we see it. Is it capitalized? Is it not? And he was speaking from John 4. There was some controversy there about whether there should be no controversy here. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in connection, connected to the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, Spirit in us, us in the Spirit, the one who Jesus promised to send, who among other things counsels and guides us and prays for us when we don't know how to pray. When we don't know the words to pray, he prays for us. Praying in the Spirit is to pray in Jesus' name in a way that's consistent with his nature and character. And listen, Prayer with open heart and mind, not praying with a predetermined acceptable outcome. That's so dangerous. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray for what you want. I'm not saying don't pray for, for what your desires, for the desires of your heart. But what I'm saying is God saying no is not God not answering. God not doing what we ask him for is not God not being faithful to us in our prayer. And how many people do we know and have we heard of in stories that we have heard of, of those who have walked away from the faith because God didn't say yes. They earnestly prayed. They prayed for healing of a loved one. They prayed for deliverance from something. And God didn't heal the loved one on earth anyway. And God didn't deliver them. 
And as a result of that, they've walked away from the faith. Folks, it's simply just as I do with, did with my kids and have my grandkids here <clears throat> all this past week. And, and I think I said no this past week more times than I, I have in a long, long time. That's what fathers do. Fathers know to say no sometimes. It doesn't mean they resent their children for asking, but they have the wisdom. They have the wisdom to know to say no at times. No is a legitimate answer. To pray in the Spirit is to pray with our minds set on things above, with our minds not on earthly things. Even when praying for earthly things like jobs or homes or major purchases we have to make or relationships, that even in that we're kingdom-minded and, and the, the ultimate aspect of our prayer is a thy kingdom come mentality. All right, second of the alls is with all prayer and supplication. Now, sometimes Scripture repeats a word or says a word slightly different, really more for emphasis. These are two different things. Prayer and supplication here are really two different things. Prayer refers more to generalities, uh, supplication more to specifics. The NIV uses the word request in the New American Standard petition in place of supplication. But what it's, you know, when we say God bless the, the, the Louthers, you know, we're, we're praying for our missionaries. God bless them. God keep them. God, you know, be their strength. You know, we, we, we pray fairly general things. But when we pick up that list that they gave us, when we pick up those six, seven things that they have specifically said, pray these things, praise God with us for these things, that's where supplication becomes a part of the equation. And we begin to pray specifically for the specific needs. It's not prayer or supplication, it's prayer and supplication. Taking that list before the Lord. You know what Paul's really doing here? He's freeing us. He's freeing us as all kinds of prayers, all prayers and supplication. What he's doing is he's freeing us to pray freely, to not be bound by some human sensibilities that so often get in the way. I mean, and they're not bad things necessarily. I mean, we use things like the, the P-R-A-Y. But I remember, you know, or the ACTS, you know, the, the praise and, and repentance and, and um, the ask and yourself or the, or the adoration, confession and thanksgiving and supplication, you know, those are fine. But God's not going to reject your prayer because, oops, I asked for something before, I, I, you know, I asked before I ate, you know, and then, you know, God's not going to reject us over that. He's not going to reject our prayer. We get caught up in some of those legalisms. Sometimes I wonder, is it any wonder that young people, little young people, are not that interested in prayer when we tell them legitimate prayer only happens when you sit down, be quiet, fold your hands, close your eyes, and bow your head? There's a lot of kids that have struggles with that. I have struggles with that. You know, actually, I find more people looking up than looking down when I read prayers about people praying in the Bible. Let's not be, allow ourselves to be trapped in the regulations that we put on prayer that God has. And God's looking for his children to come and pray to him. All prayers and supplication. We come to prayer, praise, thanksgiving, repentance, intercession, request, lament. They're all good. They're all commanded. They're all necessary. And we have the freedom to bring all of those before the Lord and bring all of those on behalf of one another. 
Third all is to that end, alert, keep alert with all perseverance. Now, I realize we're discussing the alls, but when we, the sentence starts with to that end, we probably need to see what to what end it's talking about. Considering the context, the context of preparation for battle, for securing victory in this battle, the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in, to the end of overcoming the enemy of our soul to stand, as we've been teaching the kids this week, to stand against the schemes of the devil. That was kind of one of the themes that we gave them all week. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that we're locked in mortal combat. And to that end, we bring the armor of God. We're, we're uncompromising in truth. We're passionate for righteousness. We're zealous for the spread of the gospel. We're empowered to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy, secure in our salvation and eager to share it, capable of effectively wielding the sword, which is God's word. To that end, we keep alert with all perseverance, alert to his imminent return, alert to the rapid onset and the relentless and deceptive nature of temptation as we wait for his return. You know, sometimes I forget what a dangerous place I live in. I mean, Germantown's rough. The other day, I saw right there in the news, you know, it had crimes. You know, y'all get those little, you know, Germantown crime things? You know, one day is like Tuesday, no crimes. <laughs> you know, like a whole crime-free day. You know, it was like, it was great. Do you know how dangerous that really is? How easy it is to lose this sense of alertness? How easy it is to, rather than persevere, to just move on to the next thing? And it's not dangerous in the physical sense that I feel my life is threatened when I go outside. I've lived there too. We lived in Chicago in the, at that time, most violent zip code in the United States. And um, it was violent. Not that kind of danger, but just that danger of losing focus, that danger of becoming self-sufficient, that danger of beginning to feel like I've got this because I've got nothing going on in my life that I don't seem to be able to handle. That is a dangerous, dangerous place. That is when we're not alert to what all can happen. John Stott his unfortunate views on hell notwithstanding provides a, a quotable, though rather unflattering line about the role of prayer and our perseverance. He says, without prayer, we are much too feeble and flabby to stand against the might of the forces of evil. We can't do it on our own. We can't wield that armor on our own. It's kind of like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress when he perceived the, the mouth of hell in the valley of the shadow of death and, and he saw the smoke and, and the flames and he, he heard the hideous noises, Bunyan pins these words. He says, at that point, he's forced to put up his sword and betake himself to another weapon called all prayer. So he cried in my hearing, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. The fourth all is making supplication for all the saints. Remembering the meaning of supplication, being specific. Not just God bless this person, God bless that person, nothing wrong with that. But there needs to be so much more in our prayer for one another. Supplication for all the saints. Prayer for others is strongly emphasized in the New Testament. Maybe more than prayer for ourselves. Um, especially in the epistles. 
Certainly not wrong to pray for ourselves. It's not wrong. There's many places in Scripture where we're told to pray for wisdom. We're told to uh, pray for you know our daily bread. I mean, there's things that we're to pray for, but there's an over overarching sense in the New Testament, especially the letters, of emphasis on interceding for one another. Sort of a you got my back, I got yours mindset. That, that I'm praying for you and I know you're praying for me. That I'm confident that my prayer needs are met because you're praying for me. I'm most concerned for your welfare, for your needs, and I have confidence that you're most concerned for mine. And in a lot of ways, that emphasis is really about transparency. That emphasis is really about whether or not we're willing to be open and share our life and share our heart and share our failings and share our temptations and share our fears and share those things with one another. You know, we talk a lot about accountability, but what we're really talking about is confessional accountability. That after I have sinned, I come and confess my sin to you, and we call that accountability. Man, wouldn't interventional accountability be better? Wouldn't it be better if instead of just having to share my sins or just being able to share my sins, which we need to do, confessing our sins to one another, but what if I felt absolute freedom and you felt absolute freedom to come and say, I am being tempted and I don't want to sin, and being vulnerable with that temptation and about that temptation... And being willing to say, this is where I am, this is what I'm struggling with, pray for me, pray with me, talk me off this ledge with the Lord. Wouldn't that be better? But that takes transparency. That's dangerous. That's risky. But if we're truly going to practice supplication for all the saints, supplication for one another, we've got to be willing to share those things, communicate those things. Paul, in the next couple of verses here, gives an example both of, of prayer and supplication, praying also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let me tell you something. We do not bother one another with our prayer requests. We honor one another with our prayer requests. When we come back over and over again, even with the same thing, that is not bothersome to the believer. That is honoring. When you share your needs with me, I am honored by that. When you share your struggles with me, I am honored by that. And I trust that when I share mine with you, that you're honored by that. And we hold those things as a sacred trust. That we hold those things as something that, that we have been given a great privilege to be party to and to be able to bring before the throne room of grace. And as we grow in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, I gain confidence that I can trust you with my messiness. And I hope you'll gain confidence that you can trust me with yours, even the ones that are embarrassing, even the ones that I don't want people to know about. Confessing our sins, sharing our pain, spurring one another on toward loving good deeds. Now let's apply this. Again, my goal here is not to shame anybody. And they say if you want to um, lose eye contact with your audience, all you got to do is talk about prayer and witnessing. And suddenly everyone is intensely interested in the text of their Bible, you know, and they are intensely interested in writing something down in their notes. Um, that it's a good way to, to lose eye contact. The goal is not to shame. 
Because like I said, it'd be shame on me first. The goal is to encourage and to call and to say we need to be about this as a body. More to call than to teach. Certainly not manipulate or coerce anyone into it. Paul's really taking the cover off of the potential for prayer for us in this. Praying is what we need most right now. You know, I believe that prayer is more important than finding a senior pastor right now. I think prayer is more important than getting everybody back to church after COVID. I think prayer is more important than meeting our budget, which, by the way, thank you. We are, uh, you have been very generous and, and gracious uh, in your giving this year, and we are in a very good place here in the last month of fiscal year. No need for any special campaign or anything. But prayer is more important. At the end of the day, all those things wind up, if we have a, a new senior pastor and we're a, a weak church in prayer, what have we really accomplished? Are we really being fair to that person even? There's a lot of corporate prayer opportunities here. I want you to know that. There's a Wednesday night prayer meeting that goes on this afternoon. We already mentioned there's a world prayer focus. There's men's prayer breakfast on Monday morning. There's a ladies' prayer group. I don't think it has started back since COVID yet, but, but will at some point. Sunday school classes have prayer meetings at 5 o'clock every Sunday afternoon virtually. There's a prayer gathering on, online that you can be part of. So many opportunities to pray. I'm not asking anybody to do all those things. I'm not going to do all those things. But do something. Engage one. Maybe just pick one. If you're not doing any of them, just pick one maybe. And say, I just want to start with that. I just want to be part of that one thing. I'm going to, I'm going to log on at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoons, and I'm going to pray for 30 minutes with these people. Fastest 30 minutes of the week. Gone before you know it. Or I'm just going to, I'm going to come on Wednesday night, and I'm going to go in that room where, where people are praying, and I'm going to pray with, with Chuck and Carolyn and people like that who are in there. You know, just try one. If you're not getting prayer requests from the church to, to be involved, engaged in supplication, if, if you'll just call Debbie. That's something you have to opt into. We don't blow you up with those unless you ask for it. We don't send out your prayer requests unless you ask us to. Please be mindful of that, of that as well. We've been spanked for that plenty of times for, for sending something out that wasn't supposed to get sent out. Let us know. We'll, we want to get these things out. We want to be, as a body, better able to pray for one another. And praying specifically and richly for one another about the real things that are really going on in our lives. So take advantage of these different avenues and these different ways that things can occur. Today in the back, in this corner right over here, where it's, we found the most remote corner we could find of the building, of the room, there's going to be folks back there. If you've got a prayer need, go back there and there's going to be somebody there to pray for you. They just not counseling time, not, not a time for, you know, going into all the details, but just saying, would you pray for this? And somebody's going to be there to pray for you before you leave this room today. We'll start that, Lord willing, it'll be there every week from now on. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you give us prayer as an avenue of communion with you, but also as a means to connect as a body in richer and deeper ways than any of us can even imagine unless those numbered among those who have been doing this for years, and we have many here who have. So, Lord, we pray that you would make us a praying people, not out of guilt and shame, 
but out of a heart that wants to communicate with you and a heart that wants to lift up the others within our body and the needs in our body. In Jesus' name, amen.